0: love this podcast head to patreon.com slash DATC media company to find out how you can show your support
1: i got one buddy he's he's got like four years and i'll never forget the time at work he came in and i I think he got sent home because he was drunk and they kind of gave him like a like this is your last warning buddy and he called me and he's like i don't know what to do you're the only person i know that's sober in this town and i brought him to my home group and i introduced him to my sponsor and some people and this dude works almost a better program than i do like he is like he is like all in it's a great feeling to be able to kind of do that and um yeah vegas is definitely like it's just a whole nother beast in terms of you just see a lot of fucked up people a lot you just kind of got to Learn to deal with
2: it. A member of the DATC
0: Media family.
3: Welcome to the Much Obliged Podcast, a Yellow Balloon experience, where we talk to and explore the world of the live music fan base who have chosen to live drug and alcohol free. Each week, we will have a new guest and have a short interview with them and lead right into their speaker meeting that they share on our Friday night speaker meetings new episodes drop every Monday at datcmedia.com. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and our Facebook group called Much Obliged, and come on over to Instagram where you can find us at at atjahjunkie, J-A-H-J-U-N-K-I-E. Now on with the show. Then truth
1: be told if you are
4: willing
0: Hey everyone, Lauren here from the much obliged podcast The Yellow Balloon Experience. And today I am here with my co host Benji and our guest for the week, Sean.
1: Hey What's Sean. up, guys? Hey. How's well, it going? I'm really nervous, I'm not gonna lie. My work schedule came out and I'm just I'm working every day, doubles. I have tickets to the race and I don't think I'm even gonna be able to go.
3: Have you been to Sphere yet?
1: Yeah, twice.
3: No shit. Both yeah. for you too for you
1: too yeah yeah i uh i so i i originally purchased these tickets on pre-sale like six months ago and i originally uh purchased two and then um because i was like okay well i'll go one night and then i when i purchased the two my my girlfriend at the time was like oh I i wanted to go and I was like, I just asked you yesterday if you liked you too. You told me no, so like now all of a sudden you want to go. So <laughs> I was like, all right. So I logged back in and I was like, I'll just buy two more for the same night in the same section, maybe, and that way, and then um, and that's what I did. And it wasn't until like oh, a few weeks later I realized I purchased two tickets for two different nights of the week. And a normal person would just sell them, and I was like, no, I guess I'm going both nights now. So fuck you.
3: <laughs> did you uh or did they play a different set or is it the same set every, every night
1: it's the same set he changes some of his banter you know in between and then like he does right. these little like not he'll like tease like a vegas elvis song like in between like segues and he'll change that up that's one cool. of the nights it was edge's wife's birthday mm-hmm. so he brought her on stage and they did this cool thing and um it was the first night when I saw it and I was like, I wonder if it's her birthday every night because that'd be kind of funny. <laughs> and I was like waiting for them to do the same bullshit and it wasn't. They didn't do it. They, it was so it really was her birthday and they did a cool thing. So that was cool to see.
0: So um, is the venue as amazing as it looks? Is it yeah. as overwhelming and overstimulating as it looks?
1: Yeah, the first song you definitely have to like look at the floor and kind of ground yourself because it's it's pretty intense. I was pretty bummed though. Bono Bono's really old and his voice is
3: really bad. So, <laughs> hope not, got uh, to this. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we're uh in a genre that can criticize bad vocals.
1: <laughs> I was like after the first night, I was like, man, this sounded off and I couldn't figure it out. And then I went the second time and I was like, Oh, it's Bono. It's just his voice. His voice uh, is bad.
3: Yeah, if if you were like a like an Andre Botticelli head, then you could complain about it, but
1: Yeah. But you know, I musically and visually it's gonna be great um, when our bands play
3: there.
0: It's Andrea, it's Andrea Bocelli.
3: As soon as I said it, I knew I fucked up. You fucked it up.
0: Uh, no, Andre Bocelli. Andre, not Andrea. No. Andre Bocelli.
3: No. Is Yeah, uh, dude? How, how the fuck do I know?
0: Wait no, you're right. No, it is Andrea, Andrea Bocelli.
3: What uh, again? If 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 anybody listens to this and is like Benji, probably said it right. You're fucking wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No one is gonna think that. Don't worry.
3: Good, good. Oh, um, Um, random. Just talking about setlist real quick. Um, Metallica is playing in Detroit this weekend. And uh, I was at a I was at a coffee shop. You know, they're doing their they're doing their two night stands tour.
1: And they don't repeat songs.
3: So it's two nights in a row in, in every city that they go to, and you can't buy a ticket to one night. You have to buy a ticket to both nights, and their their whole thing is two nights in a row, no repeats. So I was in a coffee shop on Friday, and I was talking to some guys who were wearing Metallica hoodies, and I was like, are you fans who came from another city, or do you work for, for the band? They're like, no, we work for the band, and I said, is it the same two set lists Every night of the like every tour, he's like, "No man, it's a completely different set list." I'm like, "Completely different set list between night A and night B, or completely different set list between Chicago's two nights and Detroit's two nights." He's like, "No, no, no, Chicago and Detroit are the same, but there's like three to five songs that they rotate out." Right. You know, so it's like the same set list except for a couple of songs. And it's like, like the Taylor Swift. Does it's like the, the Taylor? Yeah, exactly. So three it's mostly the same. Songs. Exactly. So I I said you know so lame as a, as a fish fan <laughs> you know who can see fifteen shows in a row not that I can do that today but back <laughs> when I was like I didn't have domestic responsibilities you know I could see fifteen shows and, and maybe see a couple of repeats um, and he was like he's like yeah as an organization we're aware of that we're just we're not capable of doing that he goes but we do have the largest sound system that's ever been used for a concert and i said what do you mean he goes yeah we have 600 amplifiers oh wow and i was like oh i gotta look up what the wall of sound was
0: yeah the wall of sound was
3: at the time i think but it that was 50 that big 40 years yeah
0: ago. it was a long time ago
3: so 600. Well, at
0: least they got at least they got that going for him
3: dude serious shit and then one a guy pulled out like a like a custom like a tour pick and threw it at me and i was like fuck yeah so i would maybe,
1: go i would go to a metallica show so,
3: so I, I
0: would too for I, sure. I was
3: i was planning on going and just with what's going on in the world i just didn't feel like going to a concert so i i bounced and but a, a bunch of my friends went so um and they all said that it was fucking wild i mean i bet you know, under normal circumstances, I 100% would have been there.
0: Aren't so. they kind of hardcore, like, not letting fans sell any merch that has their band name on it or their, their entity oh, anywhere yeah. on it? Yeah, they're um, the ones
3: who sued Napster.
0: Yeah, right. That's what it was.
1: They've, yeah. They've done a 180. Who was it? I think well, Lars is on, like, Howard Stern recently talking about how, like, them putting their song on that Stranger Things was like the best decision they ever have made in a career wise in like 10 years was Oh, was fucking
3: cool was because fucking cool.
1: they're like they, their fan base just like blew up even yeah. more and they were already massive
3: right but now kids are into them
0: I was gonna yeah. say that younger generation yeah
1: yeah they nailed it now they got these younger kids it's, I think it's because of that show
3: yeah all right, we should probably talk about a couple uh, recover related things because um, <laughs> that's you know what we're about. So we've Why we're here. The, the live music side. Of
1: yeah, we could go on for hours. Yeah, uh,
3: I I mentioned it when I introduced you uh, before your before your share, but um, you are sort of like the uh, unsung hero of, uh, of of much obliged in that you do a very thankless job. In making sure that we have a uh, somebody who writes an article uh, or their story um, for every publication of uh, Crooked Conversations for Dropped Amongst This Crowd Media Company, um, can you talk a little bit about like what that feels, like? How's that experience? Is are people uh, open to it? Or is it easy to get people to do it? Or are you twisting people's arms?
1: Um. So yeah, it's um. I definitely. I'm a big procrastinator so there's been a few times where sarah who is in charge of it all you know she usually sends me like all right i need a deadline by this day and she'll give me like a two-month heads up and i was like all right i got two months to find someone and then like i'll like forget or i put a like reminder in my phone and then like I'm so bad I'm such a horrible procrastinator and there's been a few times where I'm like oh crap this is due in like four days and I don't have anyone and I gotta like hit up a friend and be like hey man I really need your help here but most of the time everybody's pretty pretty cool and eager to do it and I usually send them old articles from previous submissions to kind of help uh help them out but um it's been fun because over the past, I've been we've been doing it for a few years now. Whenever I meet new people at shows or the whole online presence of much obliged and the fellowship, you meet a lot of people online and then like you can know them for a while, and then you don't actually physically meet them for years later. Kind of like with you, Benji, and even with you, Snelson. Um, you know, you you finally connect and then I'm like, hey, I haven't hit you up for an article yet. You're gonna get an email from me soon. Well, most people are pretty eager and excited to do it. And then Sarah's been really cool. She'll just send them a copy of it so they have it um, because she makes these really nice uh, copies of this magazine and it's a fun, it's a fun thing. And from my understanding, she gets a lot of positive feedback
3: yeah, she she told me that the 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 most feedback that she gets about the publication in general is pe- people reaching out to her and saying that shit was really cool and I'm really glad that this is a part of our scene. Yeah, and every once in a while somebody's like, "Hey, can I get some resources?" And she sends them to the Facebook group and to the Instagram, and you know maybe we'll send them my way or something. But um, she said she gets a lot of lot of feedback about that. yeah. Great.
1: yeah it's been cool sending her i try to get her a male and a female lately and mm-hmm. so but normally um we get some good articles some of them are really long some are really short but it breaks it down and it's funny i've worked with her for a few years like a lot and i've never met her in person we always miss shows by like one show on tour hopefully one of these years we'll connect Oh, and- come
3: come to new year's she'll be in new year's I'll be, I'll
1: be I'll be I'll be in New York City for New Year's <laughs> for someone for another band
3: for another uh, the band that shall not be named. Well, speaking <laughs> of speaking of procrastination, uh, <laughs> I've been I've been meaning to do this for a couple of weeks, and when you said procrastination, I was like, oh shit, I should probably do this. So, um, the ATC Media Company actually has uh, a Patreon. And if you sign up by November 15th, you can still receive this year's New Year's exclusive gift. So they send out like a holiday package. And in the holiday package is the Crooked Conversations magazine. So, um, you know, and other cool shit and merch and whatnot. So uh, a little plug for that.
1: He's rocking it. I love that thing. So I'm going to sign up too. I didn't even know.
3: Yep. Patreon. Just go to datcmedia.com. And I'm sure there's a button on there somewhere. So, um, tell me about uh, working a program in the. You know, I I find that like the fundamentals are the same in different cities, but oh yeah, uh, but but the nuances sometimes are a little different. Do you have uh, different people, different sayings? Uh, tell me about living in Vegas versus. Uh, you know, the other places that you've lived and how, how much fun that is?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I've tried getting sober in Chicago and failed miserably. Um, So I, I'm a big believer of like, in order to like, at least in my, my experience, like getting sober and staying sober, you have to pretty much just like uproot and relocate and, and, and start fresh. And I know that, and what sucks is I know that's not an option for a lot of people. I was just in a position where I was able to do that. And I almost, I kind of almost didn't really have a choice because after rehab, I wasn't allowed to come back home. <laughs> so I really, like, I really didn't have a choice. So, and it worked out like immensely in my favor. Cause like I had nowhere else to go. Like it was either like gets over and stay sober, or like, living in these tunnels in vegas and that was not enough (laughs) i didn't didn't want to do that and uh the recovery scene in vegas i mean i'm not sure how it is in other cities fully because like you know when i go home and visit my family for the holidays or shows and stuff i try and like hit a couple meetings um around you know my parents house and stuff like these are the meetings i would have attended had i stayed and lived at home or something So there's, you know, A, everywhere, thanks to these apps and stuff, you can really find meetings, like, like that. But from my understanding, and what's cool about Vegas is, like, you know, there's meetings at, like, midnight, you know? Like, I can get off work at 1130, and there's a meeting at midnight, you know? And, like, that's a big – like, there's meetings, like, around the clock, is what they say, because there's stuff open all the time. They have, like, meetings on the Strip for – union workers who work in the union um like strip workers they can kind of hit those like there's a few casinos that host them you know just for employees and like that's a real cool thing so if you're in between shifts or something you can kind of go hit these meetings like the, the whole aa recovery scene is a really big deal out here and the treatment center i went to um, they would take you in these vans. They would call them the druggie buggies. And they would, uh, and like, we would go to two meetings a day. You know, we'd go to a, a a men's stag at lunch. And then there would be like a different meeting at night. And they really tried really hard to kind of take you to different meetings every night. So you really kind of got to see all the different uh, type of meetings in, in Vegas. So like when I got out of rehab and moved into a sober living house, you already kind of had this really nice foundation of recovery. And that was, a, I think, another like really big thing that helped me stay sober because you kind of had this really nice network.
0: Is it and I know you don't have anything to compare this to, but is it challenging staying sober, living in Las Vegas, working with the type of job that you were, you know, you work in the service, like high, high end yeah. service industry, like how it. Like you, all of the odds are like stacked against you in terms of like your lifestyle. And I'm just wondering, like, is it, is it hard or is it easier because you see it more often and you're like, that is exactly what I don't ever want to go back to.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a great, great question. And you're, you're totally right. Um, so like, yeah, I work in the service industry on the strip in like the craziest city in the country, you know, and like. I work with a lot of people that go hard, like really hard. And, um, I see a lot of myself in a, in a lot of these people and like, it's, sometimes it isn't easy, you know? And I, um, right, you know, I can like, I know all the signs, right. Cause I used to do it all. And like, I choose not to, I just kind of try and stay in my lane, but, and, um, man, I just my heart goes out for some of these people because they're struggling, and I don't want to like push my recovery on anyone um because I never liked that when I was out, you know um and I don't know, it just kind of rubs people the wrong way. but like I'm very open about my recovery at the same time. So like everyone at work knows I'm the sober guy, which is great because I don't get invited out after work a lot to these late night events because they try to keep me you know out of respect and I'm very well liked at work. Um, but every now and then I'll, I'll go hang out with them if it's someone's last day or something, but I usually will have like a ginger beer and, and I, I'm the first one to leave. And I'm a, I'm a signature at the Irish goodbyes. I like to dip out quick, but what's really cool is there's been multiple people I've worked with that have reached out to me for help. Right. And I've actually helped get a few people. I've brought them to like my home group and meetings and and there's definitely, some people that I've helped kind of straighten their shit out and they've definitely, um they're working a program now, you know, and I got one buddy, he's he's got like four years and I'll never forget the time at work. He came in and I, th- I think he got sent home because he was drunk and they kind of gave him like a, like, this is your last warning, buddy. And he called me and he's like, I don't know what to do. You're the only person I know that's sober in this town. And I brought him to my home group, and I introduced him to my sponsor and some people and this dude works almost a better program than I do. like he is like he is like all in. and you know, it's a great feeling to be able to kind of do that. and um, yeah, Vegas is definitely like it's just a whole nother beast in terms of you just see a lot of fucked up people a lot. You just kind of gotta learn to deal with it, but it's a all good. Right you know, I see some of these people and I'm just like, thank God, I don't have to live like that anymore, because they're struggling sometimes. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, when you say that the, the recovery scene is really strong in Vegas, like, it seems like, you know, it would have to be almost. Because yeah, you kind of have that that,
1: that, that balance. Um, who is it? There's that big, what is it? Bob Riley, right? He's like a, a big speaker. I think his name's Bob Riley. He's like a big right, Benji? Isn't that his name?
3: Maybe. I don't know.
1: He's like a big deal. Every time, like I'm in like another city for a meeting or even at the fell table at like shows, someone would be like, Do you know Bob Riley? And I was like, Yeah, I know. I've heard of Bob Riley. He's like a big deal in Vegas and he runs like these big connect the dot groups and stuff. I guess he has like a podcast. And um it's funny because my sponsor, like can't stand him because he's just kind of like, I don't know, I guess he, he's really like taking the whole AA, he's like making money off of it and like kind of like promoting, mm. you know, and so you kind of get this like, some people that rubs the wrong way, you know, And but everyone always asks, I think it's Bob Riley, I don't know, edit that out.
3: Maybe it's Bob O'Reilly?
0: <laughs> right? Bob Riley's the... uh. Governor, former governor of Alabama. So I don't know if that's right.
1: I'm tripping. Fuck. Now I feel like Bill O'Reilly. I don't
3: know. No, Bill O'Reilly is (laughs) conservative. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Google this shit real quick while we're talking.
1: Yeah, we're gonna have to edit that. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, he is a governor. I'm telling you, Las Vegas. A A A shows how much I know in the scene, right?
3: Well I'll, I'll tell you what, um I I go to Vegas every year um for work for a work conference and um I have not found meetings inside the casinos. Um I always look for them and I don't it's, know, it's because it's I'm not local. Like, yeah, so it's I, more so like, I always always I always end up going off the you know, off the strip and into some like shopping center, like an Alan Oak, some like yeah. that, shopping center and I've always had really great meetings and met some really interesting fucking, you know, locals. So, um, it's got a good, good recovery scene.
1: There's some really, always some good stories and, you know, like the gambling is huge here, obviously too. So like, usually what happens is they not only like, you know, got drunk and fucked everything up, but like a lot of people lost a lot of money because of the alcohol. Cause you know, you can throw a couple hundred dollars in a machine. And like, I've heard so many stories of like, even with coworkers, like, you know, all the money they made that night in tips gone within like an hour. Like it's just, it blows me away. Like
3: one of, one of the biggest mistakes I ever made uh, in recovery was a guy who was a gambler asked me to sponsor him. And I did. And in the middle of his fifth step, I stopped him, and I was like, "I'm not qualified to sponsor you." And he said, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "I, I, I do not have this problem, and I do not have your solution because, like that, that that depth and and weight that you know, when somebody who's an alcoholic or a drug addict." addict shares with me how they thought and how they felt and how they acted and I get it and I I nod my head and I say yep I thought like that I felt when he was doing his fifth step fifth step with me I was like what the fuck is wrong with you you fucking idiot (laughs) like just stop doing that you know like
5: yeah
3: (laughs) I was like why would you do that again you know like I just Uh I, I I I have never felt so disconnected from somebody's problem or solution and i was just like i'm really sorry i'm not i'm not qualified and he was like no no no, it's fine and i was like it is not fine because i just wanted to shake him and tell him to fucking stop it you know yeah, and it it's is. not, not yeah. because he was wrong but because that's just that's not my problem yeah. um and uh yeah i, I had to help him the, the biggest thing that i was able to, do to help him was find a sponsor who was qualified to help him because it was just it was not me
1: A lot of these meetings it's funny you bring that up because like you know people will have their issues with the drugs and alcohol but then in this town gambling kind of goes with it too so a lot of these meetings there'll be like an aa meeting at at seven o'clock and then next door will be a ga meeting at eight o'clock you know and these people will will hit both you know and that's that's a thing
3: it is it is I, i appreciate the you know the singleness of purpose and the same problem same solution but like no, it's, yeah. it, it's totally it's a different like okay. jonesing you know the idea of like you know control and unmanageability completely fucking different you know yeah. it's the it's the, the the idea of the mental obsession and the physical compulsion are the same the 12 steps are the same but but you know
1: i've been in the rooms too where a lot of guys they'll have like double digit sobriety and they're sharing, and, like, they're talking about how they just blew, uh, you know, two G's last night, you know, and they're, like, and it's just, like, I think you have a problem <laughs> also, like, and, and, like, but, like, it blows me away, like, they got the alcoholism down, but this whole gambling thing, it's a whole nother beast, and I, it sucks, man, I see a lot of people come into these, a lot of people move to Vegas that are in the service industry, and they're, like, all right, I'm gonna work on the strip, I'm gonna make a ton of money, I'm gonna bet on a bunch of football games every Sunday. It's going to be awesome. And then within like less than a year, they have ruined their lives and they're moving back home to mom and dad. And I see it countless, countless, countless times.
3: Yeah. I um, I, One of these days, we're going to have a member of GA speak and and it's going to be interesting to have somebody share in here because it's just, it's completely different. You know, it's, I don't by know. the way, is that uh, that shirt you're wearing, Lauren, is that the Billy Strings with the scorpion on it? Yeah. I got the same shirt, the scorpion on the frog. You know, that I think it's a boy it's a, shirt. I, I think it's a recovery it's... shirt.
0: Why? The scorpion you, on your back?
3: Do you know the story of the scorpion on the frog?
1: No, please tell uh-uh. me.
3: So the the story of the scorpion on the frog is that the the... The frog is about to cross a river and a scorpion says to him, can you get, can you let me ride on your back and cross the river? I, I can't swim. And the frog says, if I let you on my back, you're going to sting me. And the frog, the scorpion says, I won't sting you. You're helping me. I need your help. I'm not going to sting you. And the frog says, do you promise? And he says, yes. And so the frog says, okay. And he lets the scorpion get on, get on his back and the frog swims across the river and just as he gets to the other side of the river, the scorpion stings him. And mm-hmm. the frog says, What the fuck? You said you weren't going to sting me. And the scorpion says, I'm a scorpion. What do you, what do you want from me? And um, that's it's the yeah, it's, it's who I am. And so, like, the idea that you know, we, we allow people to treat us a certain way and we don't set boundaries because they promise us that they're going to act different this time. And at the end of the day, motherfuckers are mother, going to motherfuck. And
6: wow.
3: If we don't if we don't reset our expectations to motherfuck we're going to be disappointed. The scorpion didn't do anything wrong. The scorpion was just being a scorpion. The problem right. is that the frog had expectations that the scorpion was going to behave differently this time. So.
0: I love that. Yeah.
3: Motherfuckers are going to motherfuck.
0: We need that on a sticker.
3: Motherfuckers are going to motherfuck.
0: I need that as a bumper bumper sticker on my car.
3: Yeah. Uh, I love yeah. it.
0: Um but Sean, it was really awesome to catch up with you and, Uh, you know, talk, talk about your story and recovery. And so thank you for your time. And, and with that, on with the show.
3: On with the show. Love you
1: guys. Thank you so much.
3: Sean, you got to say on with the show, man.
2: I I
1: didn't know that. Redo. Can we do a retake?
3: Just
2: say on on with
0: with the show.
1: On with the show.
0: <laughs> it's going to be like, it's going to be very, ours are going to be like, on with the show, on with the show. And Sean's going to be like, on with the show. Right.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> Little bit about our speaker. Sean is a dedicated Yellow Balloon service member of the Fellowship, the Much Obliged, and um, really most Yellow Balloon communities that I've seen. He's just celebrating eight years of continuous sobriety. And that's pretty fucking awesome. Little known service position that Sean holds. Part of the DATC media company is a magazine called Drops Amongst This Crowd. Uh, And then Crooked Conversations is is the publication of of DATC media. And when uh, they first started that up, Sarah called me and asked me if uh, I would help make sure that we have a much obliged story uh, for each edition. And I was like, that's a fucking great idea I just don't have the bandwidth to do that and I called Sean and I was like hey man can you take this on and it's been like five years and uh, he takes care of it every single time and it is always done and it's always done well and so um, you know aside for congratulating him on eight years uh, let's thank him for uh, just being an awesome service position holder um, and <laughs> uh, yeah I'm excited to hear your share tonight and uh, grateful that you're here before everybody mutes uh, we have a long-standing tradition to have a countdown and welcome the speaker by telling him how wonderful he is and how much we'd love him so uh if everybody wants to unmute we're gonna say three two one we love you sean we love you, love you, love you he's you you show. Show. pretty I love cool it. he's all right and, on, Marshall and-,
2: at best. Marshall.
3: <laughs> and with that the room is yours my friend
1: oh thanks benji thanks guys happy to be here um really quick Anybody wants to participate in that uh, dropped them on this crowd articles, please feel free to reach out to me later because I'm always looking for volunteers. If I haven't hit you up in the past five years for it, uh, let me know, I'm, I'm always scounging for people. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for letting me be here. Um, yeah, so I guess I'm Sean, I'm from Chicago originally. I live in Las Vegas now, but we'll get to that. Um, I'm 35 years old and yeah, I just took eight years, uh, last month. And, uh, it's been quite the journey. And, um, I must say I don't take a day, a single day for granted. You know, every day I wake up and I'm like, man, I still think it's a dream that, uh, I've come this far. Cause it was not, it was not like that back in the day. And, um, I, uh, I uh, born and raised right outside of Chicago in the suburb and uh I had a pretty good upbringing and everything and uh I was uh I guess like I wasn't a big part here in high school I mean I think I didn't really start smoking weed until maybe like junior senior year in high school, which I think was normal or at least I thought it was a lot of a lot of kids in my grade were doing it around that time. And I wasn't like the kid who was drinking every, every, every night, but maybe like once, once a month at some stupid party. Um, But I feel like that was pretty average back then for kids in that generation. I really don't know how kids are now these days, but you know, I was just a normal average kid. I was definitely very small, the smallest kid in the crowd. And like, I was often joked around uh like with my group of friends like you know if anyone's ever seen south park i was always like the butters of the group right which is not a good thing to be associated with because he was always like the smaller one and uh with the high pitched voice and uh the overpowering parents and was always uh getting made fun of a lot. so i was the butt of a lot of jokes in high school but that's kind of how you know that was just my thing. You know, that's just who I was. I was like, I was on the football team. I would say on it, but i never played. They didn't make any cuts, but you know, I was always, I tried to like fit in everywhere I could, but that was always like a struggle for me. I could no way. I could never like find my niche, you know? So, and I think that kind of translated when I got to college, I went, um, I went to Marquette in Milwaukee, which is a really underrated city by the way, and a big drinking city also. And, um, you know, then I think that's when like the drinking really took hold. Um, cause you know, that's where I fit it. You know, it was like, all right, when the beer and the liquor is in me, I'm not as self-conscious anymore. I'm a lot easier to get along with. People seem to like me more. At least that's what I thought, you know? And, um, I tend to have a lot more fun, you know, and it was like it would start out just weekends, but it turned into like almost every night there was a reason to get drunk, you know, and like I was really good at managing. I had this motto in college, like don't let um, the partying and, you know, being a pothead and all that get in the way of my schoolwork and my studies, but do not let my schoolwork and my studies get in the way of being a partier and a pothead. You know, I had to find that balance and I was really good at that in college. You know, I, um, I had a really good balance of, I was, you know, partying and smoking weed and like on a nightly basis and, and working also and going to school. And I was great at it. And like, I was like, man, and I found like my niche, I had a really good group of friends and things were good. um, the problem was when I graduated school, everybody kind of grew up and like became adults and like i didn't i just kept i just kept the party going you know and that's i think kind of where uh for me uh things started getting went from bad to worse right and um i'm moved back home and i'm quickly moved into a uh with some college buddies at some house in Wrigleyville in Chicago I had a job for an IT company in downtown Chicago and like you know quickly found people who like to drink on it on a nightly basis and and uh, partake in a lot of uh, other extracurricular uh, activities and and um because I fit in there you know that's that's where my niche was and uh, you know I think that's kind of where like it really started becoming a problem because I was drinking nightly using cocaine a lot and, and it was just getting out of hand and I would work for the IT company. It was like inside sales downtown in the loop of Chicago. And then I'd go bartend at, at a, at a restaurant at night or on the weekends. And that would kind of fuel my, my, my drug and alcohol budget. And um And it was just like a constant cycle every night. It was exhausting, but I was in my early twenties, you know, I could do that now, do that then. And, um, it got, it got out of hand quick. I, I, um, eventually got fired obviously from that IT job because it was just, uh, I was just showing up hungover or messed up or going into the bathroom too many times during a work day, you know, not, Not normal people don't go to the bathroom five times in an hour. So, you know, obviously something was going on and um, yeah, it was just my drinking and, and the drug use just kind of got out of hand and um, you know, I loved going to shows and I, what was I a senior? 2009. Yeah. I was like a junior when fish got back together, junior, senior in college. So I started going to fish shows and uh like I'm um, and stuff and and um obviously i was I enjoyed the music, but like I was getting really fucked up at a lot of those shows, and I remember I was still working for the i t company, but like when i I think when I first realized like maybe this isn't normal behavior, I think it was like fish two thousand thirteen they're at like northerly Island and There was a I was there and I was either out of drugs or I lost them or like I used up everything. And I remember thinking, like, man, I can't wait for the show to end so I can go to my guy, my dealer's house and get more stuff. And there was a rain delay. Like they canceled the show, like at the beginning of the second set, because there was like there was a huge storm coming and they had to cancel it. And I remember being like, oh, thank God. Now I can go go to my guy's house, you know, and, and get loaded. And I remember, like, being so grateful that that happened. And, like, looking back, I'm like, that's fucking nuts. Like, why would I think, like, I would be so bummed if that happened now. But, like, that's just my thinking. Like, I didn't really care about the music then. It was just, like, getting as fucked up as possible, you know? And uh because that's the only way I felt like I fit in. And uh it wasn't even about the music it got to, you know? And I think looking back, that's when, like, I realized that that wasn't normal behavior, <laughs> behavior. but, um, you know, I eventually got fired from multiple jobs and I had no choice. I had to, uh, put my towel between my legs and move back home with my parents and in the suburbs. And that's when things got worse to even far worse. You know, I, uh, was living there. I think it was probably like shortly after those fish shows. So probably like 2014 or 15, somewhere around that time. And, um, you know, my younger brother was very successful. got a PhD, had a career going, you know, all these great things. He was just doing everything right. And I just like couldn't do anything right. You know, and I just kept fucking up, kept getting drunk, kept getting, um, kept getting into trouble. Um, I would get these like little side jobs here and there um when I was staying at my parents' house, and I couldn't hold them at all. I was like either got caught stealing or uh showing up drunk. I worked at this uh <laughs> there's this retirement home across the street from my parents' house, and they had a uh there's like a restaurant there. The people who lived in the retirement community would go there and have dinner every night. And they had like a bar, a little bar and stuff. So I had got a job there. And it was mainly just high school kids that worked there after after school. And here I am, like 26, 27, like I do not belong there. I'm working there. And somehow the the manager like made the mistake of putting me in charge of like the bar and the inventory, which was a huge mistake because I quickly realized like there was no system in terms of like keeping track of any of this stuff. So I was just stealing alcohol. Like it was nobody's business. And the best part was like when another supervisor would find out, they would just think it was these freaking high school kids, you know, stealing, stealing the stuff for their whatever high school party. And I'm sitting there like trying to figure out which kid was stealing the alcohol, knowing damn well, I was the one that replaced the vodka with the water. Um, You know, so it was a great situation until it wasn't because eventually showing up drunk and they caught on and i think like one day there's like a knock at the door and it was a certified letter um and my dad answered it and it was a certified letter saying that i was like not allowed on that property uh anymore of this retirement community and my dad was like, what the hell is this and my grandma was staying there so like I wasn't allowed to see grandma because I was like banned from like walking on the property because I got essentially fired for showing up wasted and I don't even remember it and like that was like one of one of the last straws and so um yeah I just remember like like not even like I was just so embarrassed but like I didn't care like I had my bottles and that's all that fucking mattered, you know? And, um, my nightly routine was like sitting in my parents' basement, like no job, no money, no life, like no hopes. Like I didn't even have a phone, you know, that was taken from me. Like I couldn't pay for anything. I couldn't even get a webcast, no idea like what fish was doing. And like, all I would do like was I would watch this show intervention. I would make fun of these people. Because, man, these people have no, like, I can't believe them. How do they not see this coming? Like, you guys are idiots, you know? Like, you're going to get an intervention. Those people have some problems. I don't have that. I'm not that bad. And um, lo and behold, guess what? I had an intervention, you know? Like, joke's on me. And it was. it's a lot like that show. But I, I'll never forget it. I woke up one morning. My... Dad was like, I need your help downstairs with something. And I, like, really didn't want to go down there. He needed help moving something. He made up some story. I went down there, and I walked into an intervention. And aunts and uncles and family friends, friends from college. It was, like, nine, ten people there. And as soon as I walked downstairs and I saw everybody, like, I immediately knew what was happening right and you get this initial like like shock and then simultaneously i was like immediately like oh this huge weight was just like lifted from my shoulder because i was like thank fucking god you know i'm like finally and i remember saying something like y'all don't even need to read the fucking letters just tell me where i'm going like let's just go and um because i really didn't want to hear these letters because i didn't want to like hear about all the horrible shit I did, you know. Um and uh but we did and we sat down and the whole intervention was a process and and it was uh I guess allegedly I was supposed to go to some treatment center in, in Arizona and I guess they called my mom like the night before and they told her they screwed up they're out of beds and they were sending me to Vegas. And my mom was like not happy about it. But at that point the Wheels were going, there was no turning back. It was like now or never. So they were like, Yeah, we're sending you to Vegas. And um, my initial reaction, I had never been to Vegas before, and I was like, Hell yeah, I'm gonna get to Vegas. And as soon as we land, I'm, I'm taking off. I'm I'm gonna book it and, and run and just you know, make money gambling. And uh I was excited and I remember. After the intervention, I went up to have a cigarette and and uh, the interventionist came out. And she was like, you know, uh, don't worry, I'll let you get I'll let you get drunk at the airport so you can get drunk one last time. And I was like, "Ah, oh, thank God. This is awesome. And I was really grateful for that. <laughs> and there's another method to her madness because I'm thinking, oh, this is great i'm gonna get drunk i can get drunk on the plane one last time and then when we land i can just you know take off and dip out but the reason i they let me get drunk was i think i got so drunk i couldn't run when we landed in vegas like i was like hammered and and i had um they had taken my phone and my wallet and everything so i didn't realize that so there's really nowhere for me to go and uh and yeah i was really grateful for that because um you know, going to rehab and having that intervention ended up being like one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, I'm so grateful for that to this day. Like those are some of the, I was, uh, the first two weeks were hard. Um, and I remember it was like a Saturday night when we flew in and I got there late Saturday and I was pretty drunk and they, uh, they did like my intake. It was a whole process and they, um, They told me I, uh, all right, woke up the next morning in like the sober living, whatever house. And every other Sunday was like movie day where you go to the movie theater. It just happened to be that morning. And, you know, I'm scared shitless. And we had to go to this movie. I remember going to this movie and it was like the Hugh Jackman remake of like Peter Pan or something. I think it was called Pan. And we had to sit like in these assigned seats. I remember sitting there like hungover. I'm in Vegas. I don't have any money. I don't have my phone. I'm still, I'm kind of realizing what just processing what happened I'm in this theater. I'm like ready to throw up and I just see like the exit sign and I'm like ready to fucking like book it. But there's like people like standing almost at each door kind of so that like, I guess people had done that before. And I just remember like, what am I thinking? What am I doing? Why am I here? And I was just miserable. And I'll never forget that feeling but i didn't want to go through that again and i know that like i ended up obviously staying and not booking it and um i was like i'll just give this a try and uh you know it turned out to be like the best decision ever and i know uh everyone kind of like and I'm, I'm the same way i was like i'm just gonna do this to appease the parents and it's not like i'll never drink again and, uh, I, uh, so I know at least in my rehab, if you do like good behavior for like 30 days, you can do like overnight visits and shit like that. And so I, uh, I had a really close friend of mine in college. who happened to live in Vegas and, uh, he was a teacher out here. He was, like my best friend. And it was just ironic that he, uh, that I was being sent here. And he would be the only one who would come and visit me in rehab. And, um, cause my parents weren't flying out here for it. I'd done enough damage. So he'd come out and we realized like the 30 day mark of when I was in treatment was also like the night that like the f- and company was going to be playing at the MGM in Vegas. And that was like 2015. So that was like their first, I think that was maybe their first tour because, uh, yeah, and no one really knew how good or bad they were going to be. So I was like, "Oh man, I'll 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 work the steps and I'll do all this criteria and I'll behave in rehab. So on day 30 I can get the overnight pass and we go to this grateful this dad and company show." And like I, I lied to my therapist and my mom and I was like, "Yeah, we're going to go see Cirque du Soleil. It's going to be great. Can you send some money to my buddies so we can buy the Cirque du Soleil ticket?" Cuz I knew if I said we we're going to go to this grateful dead dead and company thing. They weren't going to let me go. And, um, so I had the overnight pass and, and, and we went and I remember, yeah, the music sucked, but I remember like, I was scared shitless, like absolutely mortified. People were smoking next to me. I was scared. Someone was going to spill a beer on me. Like I, like we had to switch seats like 10 times. I just had a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. And I realized after the fact that like, I really did want to stay sober, you know, and it wasn't until I was at that stupid fucking show when it occurred to me, like, I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to get high. And even though it was a bad show, that was like an important step in my, at my treatment center, because I needed to, I feel like I needed to go through that in order for me to realize that I did want to stay sober. And, um. I did get caught. I got in a lot of trouble for it because my roommate, he got caught sneaking in heroin or something. So like to deflect the attention off him, he threw me under the bus. So I got in a lot of trouble for it actually, but it was worth it uh, because I realized like, I need to like really work the steps and and for real. And, uh, and yeah, like my desire to, to stay sober was stronger than my desire to get fucked up at a concert. So, I guess in a way I'm really grateful for <laughs> for that show. And um Yeah, so that was after 30 days in treatment. I was in rehab for 75 days. And I'll never forget I think after a few weeks I had like a phone call with my my mom and and my therapist about aftercare and they explained basically my they didn't want me to come back home you know even after doing all this work like they did not want me to come back to uh to Chicago and that was like the second best thing that ever happened to me I didn't know at the time I was in tears I was so upset I was like this whole time I was planning on going home I had missed Thanksgiving I had missed Christmas all this shit and uh my therapist basically sat me down and she was just like listen You're not married. You don't have kids. If you're going to go back to Chicago, you're going to fall down the same path. So you might as well just, uh, restart your life here. And that's what I did. And I never went back home. Well, I never moved back home. And I, I had this opportunity to like hit the reset button and I did it. And I'm so fucking grateful for it. And like, you know, I moved into a sober living house for a while And like, I was just so scared, shitless of like fucking up. I just did everything people told me to do. And the AA, I get asked this a lot like, how do you stay sober? How'd you get sober in Vegas? Like, you think there's all this partying and chaos, but the AA in Vegas is like really strong and it's a big community out here. So, like, not many people can say, but I've never had a drop of alcohol in Vegas and like really grateful for that. And um, I, uh, (laughs) yeah i know like i missed a lot of things while i was fucked up like in 2015 before i got the treatment i was like living in the parents basement like you know i could have easily gone to those fair the well shows at soldier field and like i never went because i like i could have had money for the train ticket to go down there or i could just get drunk with it and i would choose to stay and get drunk you know Like, and I, I still to this day, when those shows get brought up, like part of me just like cringes because I'm so mad I missed out on that. And it was, there's the only reason I did not go was because I cared more about getting drunk and high than going to the music, you know? And I'm just like, so grateful today that like, it's the exact opposite. I'm like going, I go to too many shows now and it, it actually needs to, I need to slow it down but it's like I'm just so never in my wildest dreams would I have like realized wake up one day and I'm like I'm going to all these shows sober and I remember someone in rehab I thought this guy was like fucking with me he was explaining to me about the yellow balloons because that was like a concern of mine like oh I can't go see fish anymore sober like I didn't think that was a thing and I was like, I don't know if I can give up the live music when really, like, I didn't really care about the music then, you know. And this dude was telling me about these balloons and the yellow balloons, and I thought he was lying. And uh turns out to be one of the best things ever, you know. I, like, There's safety in numbers, and, like, I'm a big believer in that. And, like, this group and these yellow balloon tables, uh, man, dude, they have, like they have really saved my ass a bunch of times because you know I I don't have a lot I used to look forward to getting fucked up and loaded all the time and now I just look forward to these run of shows right and I know I got a group of friends that are always at them and there's like this huge camaraderie I mean everybody in this zoom right now can you know can attest to it and it's like man it's like the best fucking thing ever and I don't know i I re- now I tend to ramble when I share my story but I really am I'm just so grateful that like I have found like like this is like my higher power are like these yellow balloons and these concerts you know and a lot of people find have a hard time like, realizing that and like man I mean who knows I I don't know if I would have stayed sober this long if it wasn't for some of the, some of the people, uh, that I've met through these yellow balloon tables. So it's just like a huge deal. So I remember like, uh, you know how, like, um, every now and then someone on Facebook will make a post like, uh, oh, what's the one liquor you'll never drink again. And normal people will put like, uh, oh, Jägermeister, Goldslager, you know, and, i commented once like rubbing as in like rubbing alcohol. I'll never drink that again. That was the worst thing ever, you know? Cause that's what I was like. I couldn't find anything to drink. I was grabbing the rubbing alcohol in the medicine cabinet, you know? And I remember my mom making a comment like a couple years after I got sober, like, so that's where all the rubbing alcohol went, you know, like it was that bad. And like, shit, man there's like three full bottles of rubbing alcohol in my house just in case I ever cut myself, but I'm grateful. I'm never going to touch it, uh, for the other use. And it's just little shit like that. Those constant reminders that like, man, I'm just so grateful. I'm able to where I'm at today. You know, I don't know. I don't know, but the big things was the intervention in rehab and, uh, I tried outpatient a bunch of times and I don't know about anyone else, but for me, outpatient didn't work. and I had to like literally pick up my life and relocate it somewhere else. And that's just my experience and nothing. I'm not discrediting outpatient care at all. I just, that taught me how to like every trick in the book of how to get away with shit. Right. If I knew, if I was going to have to take a P test Monday And then a random one on Wednesday Then I had from like Wednesday night till Sunday, you know, I had to time it out and I really had to get removed from my element and replaced somewhere where I didn't know anyone and no access to anything. And that's scary for some people. So I'm really grateful that I was in an opportunity where I could do that. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's all I got.
7: Beautiful. Thank, thank you, Sean. I really appreciate you being here. It's good to see you. Um, I'm happy everybody else has made it too this evening. Um, <clears throat> you know, there was one thing that you said that um, a lot of people have shared in the past, and I know a lot of people here kind of feel the same way, and it's almost a slogan at this point, but it's never in my wildest dreams. You know, and for for me... You know, I've been sober for eight years as well. I think our, our dates are right around the same time. And if you'd have told me eight years ago or eight plus years ago that this is what I would be doing with my Friday night, I would have told you you were crazy. Okay. Never in my wildest dreams would I have expected that this is how it was going to go down. You know, and you'd also mentioned the there was a moment of clarity for you where you realized it wasn't what you were doing wasn't normal. Yeah, You know, I've had those, those moments and I'm sure others have too, where, you know, I was sitting around the campfire at two o'clock in the morning and everybody else was asleep and I was still ready to go. You know, and I couldn't figure out why I was doing it, but I was definitely doing it. And it, it was just how I was in it that what didn't happen once, you know, right. Um, That and the, the clarity of the the moment where you realize that you don't, you want to stay sober more than you want to get get drunk or get high or whatever it is, you know, that's, that's the one that sticks with me the most. You know, there was that, that one turning point where I just said to myself, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. You know, and I'd said it a thousand times, but that, that one time when it just was boom, I cannot do this anymore. And then from that point on, I decided to change my life and, you know, you did the same thing. And I'm so glad you did. And again, really, really happy to have you here tonight. And, uh the floor is open if anybody else would like to share. Thank you, Sean. Thank you.
0: I'll share. I'm Lauren. I'm an alcoholic, NFL. Um Sean, I never knew that we had this in common, but I used to get really fucked up and watch intervention too. And uh, how did we not like laugh? just be like, God, these poor people, man? Like
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <sorry>. um, <sighs> Even I actually have, have even enjoyed that show in sobriety too. Um I don't know. It was just always something that I really enjoyed watching for whatever for whatever reason. Um that's really funny. But um it was really good to hear your story again. I've heard it before, but it's been it's been a while and there are definitely parts of it I, I haven't heard before. And um and yeah, just kind of like what Matt was saying, you know, like the life that you have now, like you couldn't imagine ever having, having had. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but um, I can, you know, totally relate to that. Um, like I thought when I got sober that um, my life was like over and I was like almost willing to accept that. I thought I was just going to be this like boring, um, you know, lonely woman with never going to be able to see music again. Um, and, and I was willing to accept that cause I was so desperate. I was like, as long as I stay sober, like that's all that matters at this point. And, um, so when I, I, you know, found out, the, found out about the fellowship, Well, I had known about the fellowship before I got sober and I thought it was super fucking lame. And I thought that they were a bunch of losers and didn't know how to party. Right. And, um, wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. I thought it was like, just the dumbest shit ever, you know, I'm like, why are you even coming to shows if you're not getting fucked up? Like how, how is that fun? You know? And, um, so, you know, when I got sober and, I almost like grieved it and like kind of mourned that part of my life. The first year of my sobriety, I was like, that was fun. That was cool. But you know, I can't do that anymore. And um, I think what happened was I joined the Facebook group. I found the Facebook group and I joined and then I started seeing people, people that I recognized from the scene that I had no clue were sober. And I was like, wow, they're sober. Like, that's fucking cool. Like, for instance, Jackson. Um, you know, I'm like, dude, this dude, the suit guy's sober. Like, he fucking gets down, man. Like, that's crazy, you know? And so it like really piqued my interest. And then, you know, I I started you know, just frequenting the Facebook page and seeing so many people that I knew I hadn't that had no idea were sober. Maybe I knew and I, you know just it didn't put two and two together ever. Just was too fucked up all the time. But um it really I started to get a sense of hope. I was like, well if they can do it, if if they can do it and if Trey can do it, who like lives, eats and breathes this thing, then like maybe there's a chance for me. And um and I went I remember going to my first sober show. It was Tahoe 2018. And I was like a nervous wreck the whole time. And I was with all my, Calif- you know, my friends. I'm from California. They were all, fu- they were drinking like GHB. I'm like, you guys are fucking nuts. And um, I was really, really nervous before. And then the music started. And it was like, it's just, they opened with free. And I remember just being like, like it sounds so cheesy, but I remember just feeling so free in that moment and being like, I can do this. I got a shot here and really just dove head first into the fellowship after that. Um, and I'm just so grateful for it because the fellowship's giving me. Um, you know, almost everything good I have in my life has come from, uh,
2: this group of people.
0: And, um, so I love you and um I can't wait to see you in April in Vegas when Fish plays at the Sphere and thanks for being here and for sharing with us and for being so awesome one thing that I really enjoy about you and our friendship is you're very you're like always happy you're kind of one of those people that's like annoyingly always happy i'm like how are you always this fucking happy dude and just like full of life and joy and um and i mean that in like a very um like loving way but uh you're just you're a really awesome human and i'm very grateful to be your friend and um i think that's all that i got thanks for letting me share
1: thank you snelson love you too I'll try not, I'll be a little less happy
0: for you. <laughs> Please don't. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> <You're> <laughs> back. Thank you.
8: Hey, family. My name's Ishten. I'm an alcoholic, an addict, and a whole bunch of other things.
5: Okay. And- Thank you
8: so much, Sean, for the, that that was an amazing, amazing lead. Uh, there's so many things that I could relate to. One of the things that I really, you know, stuck in my head. You know, the gift of desperation, you know, um, you knew and I'm picturing in my head, you know, you you walking into this intervention and you're like, just, I don't need to hear it. I already know, you know, and I sort of felt like that way as well. Like I knew I had to quit. I knew I had gone too far, but I didn't know that I didn't know about Alcoholics Anonymous you know, I didn't know about this stuff, you know, so then I go and get sober um, because I had that, uh, that where I can't do this anymore, you know, I tried so many times and and it was just not a good thing, Um, and I too didn't, I got sober in between the fish breaking up or splitting up for a while, so when they came back, I was freaking out. I was like, how am I going to go see this band, you know, uh, and not relapse or not, you know, have a drink? And then I had remembered that when I used to go to the Grateful Dead concerts, uh, there was the Wharf And I was that guy that walked past the Wharf Rats and be like, the fucking losers, you know, who the fuck goes to shows, and not drink, you know? So I, I, I searched out, you know, sober fish fans from the fellowship and holy cow has been a life-changing experience uh to meet all these awesome people. Um and one of the things too that you said uh like that it's your spiritual experience. And I remember being at Northerly Island, uh I don't know if it was at the same time that you know they had to cancel the show or cut it short. But I had a spiritual experience there where I stopped And I said, man, thank you, God, for allowing me to do this, be here, and be sober, be present. Um, So every time I go to concerts, I take whatever 10, 15 seconds it takes to just be thankful that I'm allowed to be at those shows, that I get to be at those shows sober. And whenever I can, I, you know, be be of service at those shows, uh, working the tables, just helping out, whatever. You know, um, and I'll finish with this. It's like everything, everything that I was looking for, drugs and alcohol, I found in sobriety, true friendships, true freedom and true happiness. So thank you for being here. I really loved your story and I'll pass with that. Thank you.
1: Thanks. I love Hey, Sean, Jack, uh,
4: alcoholic and, uh, Hey Jack, I was, um, I was uh, I was in my first year of honest sobriety. And my sponsor made me go to this AA conference in Vegas. It was called Stateline, and I, I'd never been to Vegas before, and I reached out on the fellowship, and I said, is anybody who's a fell in Vegas and wants to uh, hang out between this conference that I'm going to? And one person responded, and that was Sean. And he swung by and we went to his home group meeting in between all these meetings. I was doing for the conference and we went and got foe. And then, uh, after I did some amends and got the clearance from my sponsor to maybe go back to do my first sober fish show, Sean was one of the first people I saw when I got in Denver and, uh, we shared a lot of, a lot of good moments since then, man. And, uh, just grateful for you. Really appreciate you always showing up. And I really appreciate you reaching out that uh, one day because it, it's been a good friendship and grateful for you, buddy. And thanks for telling your story. It's nice to hear it. Good to see it too. Thanks, Jackie, you too, buddy.
6: Hey, this is Ryan. Um, I'm Alcoholic NFL. I'll take a quick uh, moment to say hello. Um, I, uh, I'm glad you accepted your uh, intervention well. I'm going to say I was lucky. I, can't, I, I mean, I don't know if I was lucky or unlucky. I intervened myself and got into rehab I, um, myself. Uh, I think uh, if I'd kept the track that was going on, maybe some people would have surrounded me and said, hey, you got to do something. But fortunately for me, it didn't get there. But I, I had all the reasons that it should have. Um, you know, somebody had a speaker meeting a couple of weeks ago and she, she saw that I was in Vegas and she's like, hey, 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 do you know, do you know Sean? do you know Sean? I'm like, no, but I I can. And uh, now I have my newest Facebook friend, Sean, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Um, So I'm excited for that relationship. And uh, we're fairly close together. So thanks for sharing and uh, look forward to learning more about how to be of service at these, uh you know, tables and such. So thanks
1: thanks ryan I'm looking forward to meeting you too oh, we'll have to get together for lunch or dinner or something soon.
6: yeah totally
2: hey i'm andrea i'm an alcoholic and an addict there's so much of your story that i was just like laughing myself um because it was just it was just like you were telling my story um you know at the end of the last few years of my active addiction, um, I didn't go to a lot of shows. Like I couldn't put it together. Like I, there were, it was too much to put together. Like it was easier just to stay home and get fucked up at the end of the day. And, um, and that's what I did. And I look back and I think about shows that were close by and I'm like, oh my God, why was I not there? And it, like, makes me cringe. Um, And I kind of, I don't really know anybody in the FELL group that that has said that before. Um, And it was just kind of funny. I also watched Intervention. I got fucked up and watched Intervention. And I would be like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm not like them. You know what I mean? I'm, like, totally like them. Like what was I thinking? But um uh I found out about the fellowship in rehab. My uh counselor in rehab showed me his coin that he got at a Warfrax meeting or table, I can't remember which. And he was like, you can keep doing this. He was like, I, you know, like I've gone to see, I think then it was, he actually saw the grateful dead, but um, he's like, I've gone to see dead and company. He's like, just look for the yellow balloons. And I had already been stalking the Facebook page before I got sober, like before I went to rehab and um it was kind of like the first thing I turned to as soon as I, as soon as I got home and it was like a total lifeline. And what you said, like you know, not sure if you know your sobriety would be the same without having it as part of your life. Like in some ways, like um, like fish and the fellowship is the reason why I continue to stay sober. Um, I mean, there's so many other things in my life that I'm doing this for, um, but I don't know. I just I just really identified with so much of what you said tonight, and um, I just wanted to thank you for being here, and uh, appreciate your share.
5: Hey, I'm Josh. I'm an addict. I fell, and a sunny bunny, and a dusty baggie and um, all the yellow balloon groups that'll have me. uh sean i was uh i was excited uh when i found out that you were going to be sharing tonight uh since we just met uh earlier this year in mexico and uh on a scuba diving um excursion i was like oh shit you're I saw the, you had like a one show at a time pin on your hat or something. And I was like, Oh, are you sober too? And it's like, is everyone here sober? It was like, yeah, the people who got up in the morning to go scuba diving uh, at fish in Mexico are sober, of course. Um, But I really, uh, I really appreciate your story um, and love the part about, you know, you showing up to the intervention just being like, yeah, just tell me where I'm going. I'm ready. Like, um, I always imagined if I had an intervention which I didn't but that's a different story um, it, I always imagined if I had one I would like be like yes please I'm ready um, uh, I, I kind of maybe intervened myself in a way by uh, thinking that I was uh, having like an overdose and calling the uh, paramedics, um, on myself and the cops showing up and then being a fucking paranoid, delusional mess and thinking that I was part of some elaborate intervention scheme where no one that I knew showed up. <laughs> um, but, uh, like that was like the realization and like, if this is an intervention, like it's time to go. And, uh, it kind of leads to uh what lauren was saying about having you know joined a a group uh and finding some hope in there before um getting sober i uh i joined the sunny bunny wean yellow balloon group um yeah a while before i was ready to get sober just because i uh a friend of mine had started it and i was glad for him and i was uh you know wanting to support that but like realizing now that i was kind of reserving myself a space there and knowing that i was you know i was going to need that in the future um yeah i'll echo what everyone else has said that these communities um have been really important to me because when i when i was ready to get sober um I, I knew that I definitely did not want to give up my reason for living, which is live music. And knowing that I could find other people who were, you know, who were doing it like this and um, and find some of that hope and get some, you know, hear about their strength and experience uh, was, you know, has, has been really important to me. And so um, I thank all of you who have you know, pave the way for me to do this and I'm grateful. And um yeah, we're really glad to hear your story tonight, Sean. Thank you. Thanks,
1: Josh. Appreciate your buddy. I think about that scuba day a lot.
6: I'm coming, alcoholic. Uh, Sean, thanks for-,
2: <laughs>
6: thanks for sharing your story, man. Uh, Dix is always a great weekend hanging out with you. And uh, you know, I wish you'd come back to Chicago more often so we could hang out. But uh, you know, just keep doing the deal. And uh and I love you, man. Me too, Mike. Thanks, buddy.
7: Um, I just want to take a moment to uh thank everybody for being here tonight. It's always it's always awesome to have a good crowd like this. Um Sean, it's really good to see you and really happy you were here and able to share. You know, I've heard your story before, I think that last time you did it, which you said was a couple of years ago, but I remember, man, it's good, it's always good to have an old timer back, so anyway, I appreciate you being here tonight, man, and um, we do have a tradition in this meeting, if everybody could uh, hold hands with the person in the box next to them, and uh, Sean, if you could take us out, that would be great. All right, do
1: the uh, dude version of the serenity prayer.
7: Dude, dude, dude,
1: grant me the serenity, serenity. to accept the things, I, the
7: things I, cannot I cannot change, change. courage change. to change the things the I can, and the, wisdom, and to the wisdom to know the difference.
1: Thanks a lot, you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, my...
7: kids. You guys
8: have
2: a good one.
1: Love right, you guys. Later, Ish.
7: Thank you. See ya.